Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Andrea and Robert Zucker. Andrea was ordained as an interfaith minister through the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine in 2012. Her training included working in hospitals and with seniors in the nursing care, assisted, and independent living units of two sister Erickson retirement communities in eastern Massachusetts. Most recently, she served as a chaplain for Bay State Strait. Bay State VNA and Hospice in Springfield, where she worked with hospice patients and families, as well as with the pediatric palliative program to support families with children experiencing life-threatening or life-limiting illness. Before becoming a minister, Andrea taught high school English and creative writing and theater to young people from elementary through high school. She loves knitting, gardening, writing poetry, and personal essays currently through her journal on Caring Bridge. She lives with her husband, Rob, in western Massachusetts with two adult children close by and their first grandchild due in January. You're in for a treat there. Robert Zucker is author of The Journey Through Grief and Loss, Helping Yourself and Your Child When Grief is Shared, published by St. Martin's Press. Library Journal cited his book as one of the four best books for grieving adults, preparing for difficult conversations about death with their children. And they said this, in this tender and compassionate book, social worker and bereavement specialist Zucker helps parents and children explore their grief with practical advice for the ongoing journey to healing. Rob has presented several hundred evening, day-long, and multi-day bereavement workshops and keynote addresses across the United States and Canada. Guest faculty positions have included Harvard University Medical School, Cape Cod Seminars, Smith College School of Social Work Continuing Education Programs, and Dalhousie University School of Social Work in Halifax, Canada. He maintains a grief counseling, consulting, and training practice called Counseling for the Journey. Welcome, Rob and Andrea. Thank you. Thank you. you. You've both, you know... We're, we're doing, uh, we have some creative tension today. We're talking about your work in the grief field and also what you are personally fail- facing right now and how those intersect. But you've both had careers, as, as is obvious from your biographies, that have a focus around end of life and grief. And um, I'd like to just put that in the background before we talk about what you're dealing with right now, uh, Andrea's cancer, um, and ask you, Rob, to start with, how did you come to, to do the work with kids and grief? What, what led you in that direction in your life? Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's, like a, it's, it's not a simple linear path at all, but I um, was... Uh, I grew up with it. my grandmother, uh, and who lived with us, and she was 
uh, kind of a closeted, bereaved parent, um, and we, we didn't really know, know that she was grieving uh, most of our childhood, but eventually learned that, uh, that she had a child that died, and my, 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 dad, my dad's sister, uh, and her way of behaving at home really was very much uh, about her uh, struggling with her grief that was never expressed openly in the family. Mm. Uh, so, I, I, so I lived with a lot, of, a lot of grief that was unclear and kind of murky when I was growing up. And when I was 23, my, uh, my dad died, uh, and it, was, it felt in a lot of ways like a sudden death, even though he was ill for a number of years with, with a heart condition. Uh, and, and that really was a, a, a major turning point for me in terms of uh, my own profound grief. And fe- and really feeling like a kid grieving grieving his dad, even though uh, chronologically I was no longer a child. But I I think that the struggles that I had uh, as a young man, uh, really looking at uh, become becoming uh, an adult uh, without my dad, really had a lot to do with how I eventually came around to uh, working with children at first as a teacher uh, and. Uh, doing music with kids and eventually um, deciding that I wanted to do psychotherapy with kids and families and uh, that's kind of and then then when I when I discovered that there was this core issue in my life which was really my own grief that that clarified that I wanted to do uh, grief grief work with uh, children and families there's also something implied in what you just said which is that you're your maybe your dad's grief as a brother you know there's a lot of other family members that lost that person and nobody was talking about it in terms of themselves either would that be fair to say oh yeah i i found out about uh pauline my dad's sister uh only really by happenstance because i went to the cemetery with uh my uncle and aunt and my cousins uh, we usually our, our my my family my immediate family didn't usually go, but I said I'd like to come along. It was their uh, their trip to the cemetery in New Jersey. I grew up in New York, and uh, what I I thought we're going to my grandpa's grave, but and I was about uh, ten at the time, or mm-hmm. eleven, and I um, I got out of the car and and, dis- and re- discovered and watched my grandmother walk by her husband's grave, uh, Sam's grave, and she went to this little stone. That was her daughter, I realized, and she fell down and she was weeping, just absolutely distraught, and beside herself weeping on the stone, and everybody in the family completely ignored her. And it was just, obviously, it became clear that this is what happens whenever they go to the cemetery. She will weep at at the gravesite. And then everyone went about, you know, doing the gardening around uh, my my grandfather's site, and uh, eventually... um, it was time to go, and everyone was told to go into the car, and they put the shovels and rakes and <laughs> implements of destruction in the back in the trunk. And then uh, my uncle um, went over to my grandmother, who was still at the gravesite of her daughter, and he picked her up, and her body was limp at that point, and he just mm. carried her into the car and just stuffed her in the back seat beside me. And when I when I saw my dad that evening. I was really looking forward to finding out more about it because it was his sister, like you said. And his response was, we don't talk about it. And that was it. Mm. Never did we ever talk about it. Only years later, 
uh, I talked to my uncle about it after my dad had died. And so you've spent your life talking about it from then to now uh, on some, that's, that's at the heart of, of the work you do, I, I would imagine. You, it really it came out of the closet with you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, what yeah. about you, Andrea? What, what do you know about what led you to your chaplaincy and working with kids also? in terms of um, families that are facing the illness of a child. What led you in that direction? Well, I spent many years as a teacher, and I loved working with kids um, creatively. Um, I was very close to my grandmother, who died when I was a a young adult. And um, my parents and my grandfather, who we lived with. We lived with my grandmother and grandfather when I was, when we were small until I was six, and the year that we moved out of their house, my grandfather died. And I remember waking up and coming downstairs, and my father was all dressed, and my mother wasn't there. And he said, your grandfather died. And I went, oh. And I never went to the funeral. I never had a chance to grieve him. It wasn't really talked about. And um, I think that started me with this, you know, thinking about kids, thinking about kids dealing with their feelings and what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. But I, I had a whole career as, a, as an educator uh, before I became an interfaith minister and didn't know I was going to be doing chaplaincy work when I started. Um, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I knew I just knew I had to do it. And I had sort of come to the end of my teaching career and, um, when, I, when I turned 60. And um, that's when I entered seminary. And um, my father... My mother had died a few years earlier, and the first year that I was in seminary, my father died. And I had the experience of being chaplained by my teachers through that experience. Mm. And also had a hospice. We had a hospice service for him for a few days. He, you know, it came in, they came in very late. And the chaplain came to see my father, but never called me. And it made me really, I was really upset about that because I was the one who wanted to talk to her, you know. My father sure. was not, not able to talk to anybody at that point. I was the one who had wanted to see her. And that stuck with me, how to do this right, you know, how to do it the right way. So as I went through my, my seminary program, and I worked a lot with elders, and, um, which I, you know, and my parents had lived in a retirement community, so I was very familiar with that kind of setup. I felt very comfortable there. But I also missed being with kids, you know. So when the opportunity to be a chaplain for the Pediatric Palliative Program came my way, it, feel, it felt like a really, really good fit. And, and actually, until I became ill, that's where I was focusing most of my work. So, because um, I, loved, I loved relating to the whole family, you know. And um, some of the kids I worked with were very much there and with it, and some were very ill. So uh, their experiences and the experiences of the families that I worked with Right. I think that's a, a long that's a long history that covers a, a lot of years, but it's sort of in a nutshell. Um, well, and what uh, one of the things I'm interested in today uh, that's that's in the background of my mind the whole time we're talking is how being being able for both of you or or actually being drawn to confront those losses early on and 
explore what it means and and working in that area must indeed impact how you're experiencing living with cancer. Uh, but I think before we talk about that, I'd really like people to get a sense of each of your writing voices, um, for want of a better way to put it. And I wonder, uh, Rob, Rob, whether you would share the part from your dedication. Yeah, okay. Between 1941 and 1945, approximately 139,000 European Jews were rounded up, loaded into cattle cars, and taken to Terezin concentration camp outside Prague. Among them were parents, teachers, clergy, social workers, musicians, writers, composers, and visual artists who worked together there at Terezin at great personal risk to create a secretive safe haven for thousands of boys and girls also imprisoned. As a result of their efforts with death all around them, the children of Terezin were empowered to write poems, draw, paint, play their musical instruments, publish an underground newspaper, and sing out their stories. Nearly, nearly all the Jews at the camp were brutally murdered, and only 100 out of approximately 15,000 children in prison to Terezin survived the war. But some of their voices have survived and, and can still be heard today because the adults at Terezin gave their children hope. This book is dedicated to the men and women throughout history who were willing to embrace their children as they suffered together. And to the memory of one child, whose name will forever be unknown, who left this poem from uh, the days at Terezin. The poem is called Birdsong. He doesn't know the world at all who stays in his nest and doesn't go out. He doesn't know what birds know best, nor what I want to sing about, that the world is full of loveliness. When dewdrops sparkle in the grass and earth is aflood with morning light, a blackbird sings upon a bush to greet the dawning after night. Then... I know how fine it is to live. Hey, try to open up your heart to beauty. Go to the woods someday and weave a wreath of memory there. Then, if the tears obscure your way, you'll know how wonderful it is to be alive. That makes me think of the the sense in which, paradoxically, when when we're in difficult circumstance, and I I think maybe particularly facing the possibility of death, life can be very vivid. Uh, that's that's what that makes me think about because those kids must have been in some manner aware of the danger. It was all around them. Every day they'd see dead bodies on the street. Every day they'd see people lying in pain, about to die. They saw people starving, and they themselves hardly had anything to eat. It was all around them. They knew. And they saw every day, they saw people being taken away and new people being shipped in. And they knew they were going to die. 
such a testament to our human capacity, isn't it? Yeah. It, it gives me a tremendous amount of hope. It's, and it's amazing to me that you know, such a tragedy can do that, but it does. Because we, well, have, the, and we have the moment, and that's what this child is saying to us. You have it. Yes, and also I'm so aware of the people that came out of that experience and became really profound healers in their lives beyond that, the people who like lived. Frankel, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite astounding, isn't it? Checking. Here's what I found on the web for that experience and became really profound healers oh. in their lives. So sorry. My phone was talking to me for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it happens sometimes. <laughs> Where did that voice come from? <laughs> we're we're cutting to a break, um, but after we come back, Andrea, I'd love for you to to read the uh, the section of your reading from January nineteenth because there's also okay. that aliveness in that um, they feel connected in spirit to me. Um, so so let's start right there, there when we come back. Sure. And and listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at Good Grief, at the home, homepage at Voice America, and you can find my guests at robertzucker.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Robert and Andrea Zucker. They're both professionals that have worked with loss, and they're now facing their own challenge with Andrea's cancer diagnosis. And and before the break, uh, Rob, you read that beautiful uh, section of your book and poem from from the um, the camps, and it was so alive, you know, so filled with uh, presence. And uh, in a way, I feel like this section I'm I'm asking you to read is filled with a similar presence, Andrea. So let's have you read that, and then we can we can talk about that really um, paradoxical kind of experience of of um, how lively it can be to to face threat. Would you read that yeah. January nineteenth? Uh, section of your Caring Bridge? Yeah, Yeah, and this is from Caring Bridge, which is a website that allows people who are experiencing illness and other kinds of um, tough issues to communicate with people without having to repeat your story a zillion times. So I've done a lot of writing on that um, in that format. So this is from January 19th, which was shortly after I was diagnosed. Last night, Rob and I each took a deep breath and finally allowed ourselves to hold one another close and talk about the elephant in the room, the what-if-it-doesn't-work question that we have been both been so consciously avoiding these past two weeks. Right now, there is no reason to journey very far down that road, but it is a possible outcome that must be acknowledged. We all know that what I am facing is something I might not survive, so we have to talk about it, let ourselves feel the sadness and grief about it, allow it to bring us closer to one another and to all those who love us. Zach, who's our son, arrived while we were in the middle of it all, so he was part of this precious sharing. It was good to cry together with undefended hearts. I am willing to do everything I possibly can to heal myself, but we have now at least acknowledged out loud that there is no guarantee. What we do know is that there is today, and the moments we are living now, there is hope, love, and surrender to what is. There is kindness and gratitude. And there are many expert minds and hearts that we have gathered to help me heal, from our surgeon and oncologist to all of you dear friends and family who are circling the love wagons, and the hope that the divine mystery, the power of love, might just be able to work its healing magic on me as well. There's so much I still want to do in this life, so much joy and love I want to share, so many ridiculous jokes I want to tell and things I want to laugh about. So many stories I want to hear and share, and even maybe a few grandchildren I'd like to be around to spoil. So it would be ever so nice if I have the opportunity to live on for a while longer. I want to be part of the healing of the planet and to be a wise, compassionate, courageous, and completely outrageous old woman. And since I'm just beginning to feel brave enough to actually be that kind of person, I'm certainly not ready to leave this earthly plane just yet. So I promise you and myself that I'll do whatever I can to stick around for a good long while. 
I I projected into that a little bit uh, since uh, I found my own courage in the in the process of facing mm-hmm. my loved one's cancer. That you've been sped along that road a little, perhaps, in this time of feeling your own courage and your own capacity to uh, go for it, I guess. Yeah, you know, I had some role models along the way before this happened to me. Um, One seminarian, seminary friend who has been dealing with her own cancer journey for three years um, started writing on Caring Bridge, and she expressed herself with so much openness and courage. You know, when I had to face this myself, I thought, that's what I want to do. You know, I don't want to hide away. Um, I don't want to have to tell my story over and over again to a million people. So this is a great way to be out there with it. And what I've found along the way is that um, people respond to it, you know, um, and they say that it's helped them as well as, you know, which is not what I set out to do, but it's been very gratifying to know that what I'm sharing can be helpful for other people, too. So that's been wonderful. And I imagine, you know, I'm about to have you, Rob, read this section of your book about the Connecticut countryside. And what, what strikes me about that part of the book is that it's really about you can get through this, you can find your way, you can even learn some things. Um, so that implies to me that that you also had a reference point together for very difficult experiences being livable. And that that maybe gives you, you know, people will often say, oh, grief must be easier for you, you work with it all the time. And I'm like, no, it's just that I start out saying I have to do this instead of I, I don't start out resisting it. I, I know I have well, to go through yeah. it. And that mm-hmm. changes right. it quite yeah. a bit, but it doesn't change the I still have to do it. <laughs> uh, does that resonate with the two of you? Absolutely. I mean, it's very different when it's you. You know, I mean, one of the things that I really started to understand right away was that... Um, I could be a really good listener and compassionate and empathic and all the things that I felt good to be doing when I was working with people. It's really different when it's you, you know, for, for when sure. You're facing, when you're facing your own mortality or, you know, I know for Rob, when it's facing, you know, somebody you, you love, it's your personal experience. But the work that I've done has also informed me. And so that's what I was thinking about saying before, too and living through the death of my father and being chaplain through that and having that experience have all helped me um, on this journey for myself. But you don't, you don't know what it's going to be like until you face it yourself. No, it's not. It's not uh, you know you can walk roads. It doesn't tell you which road you're going to be walking exactly, <laughs> right. for sure. It's interesting. Uh, I, I want to say that um, I, saw, I saw my doctor yesterday, and I think it was yesterday, and he he, I was talking to, it was our first appointment, he got, we got to know each other, and I was telling him what's going on with, with uh, Andrea and myself, and, uh, and you know, I spent half the time crying, half the time talking, and, and uh, one thing he said to me that really struck me was that 
the two of you are swimming in the same pool, you know, and uh, and I, and he said, and not, not everybody can do that, and that's really he was just really glad to see that, and and I and that that metaphor really really seems to work for me. We are swimming in the same pool, and we've been swimming in the same pool for a long time, even before well before Andrew was sick. So you know, I I um, yeah, we and also we've been working together, you know, when, and and as soon as I realized what the, that the work I was doing was like my heart work, I realized that I wanted to do with I wanted to do with Andrea. Whenever I could, I bring her in, and she has done groups with me, and I always feel like she does a better job than I do, and that was before <laughs> she's even trained, you know. So like, you know, she just has a tremendous amount of wisdom and and just emanates. So I'm, I'm, I was always hungry to work with her. So that kind of brings me to my reading, if you want me to get into that. Can Absolutely. Okay. Um, it is a beautiful autumn day in Connecticut, in the Connecticut countryside, where Andrew and I are leading a week- weekend retreat for bereaved parents and siblings. At morning meeting, all the children at the retreat, ranging in age from 5 to 18, are encouraged to think about any concerns they've had since the death of their brother or sister, and at some point during the day to go to the lobby of the retreat center where they will find a cardboard box sitting on a side table alongside a stack of paper and some pencils. This is their concerns box, and they're told to write down any worries they have on a piece of paper and place them anonymously inside the box. No names required in hopes that the children will feel free to write about anything that is worrying them. Later after dinner, about 20 children sit in a circle as I draw from the concerns box. And one by one, I read aloud what they have written and attempt to address each child's concern. Three themes emerge. First, several of the children blame themselves for the death of their brother or sister. One six-year-old has written, I think I made my sister die. Second, many of the children feel abandoned by their parents, and even in some cases, that they're in competition with their dead sibling. A nine-year-old girl asks, why does mommy wish that I died instead of my brother? And finally, there are a number of children in the circle who are concerned that their parents are not coping well. One teenager writes, I worry about my father not getting through this. As I listen to the concerns of these young people, it strikes me how grieving adults can become so overwhelmed with uh, that they lose sight of their obligations to their grieving children. Families have much to gain once adults master the skills to manage their own grief and to support their grieving children. Children discover that they can count on loving adults, their loving adults, to guide them through even the toughest times imaginable. Parents and children understand and appreciate one another more than ever before, and eventually families can discover new strengths and hope can be restored. You know, I was mentioning in the break that I was with Francis Weller during the weekend at a grief ritual, and one thing he said really stuck with me, and it's relevant here, which is that in order to grieve well, we we have to... Um, find a way to maintain our adultness while allowing our young feelings. So in a sense, what you're talking about is also something we need as adults to grieve. 
to to hold our own selves close when we're going through losses and difficult experiences. And then if you and then if you add in actual children, <laughs> you yeah. know, it becomes even more important in some ways. Right. We can join our kids, you know, uh, from many different levels. We can, you know, we're hurting uh, on so many different ways. And we are children. We're all children, you know. Uh, yes. and, and our children need us to be adults and need us to embrace them on, on a very on a shared way as well. You know what I mean? We're, yes. we're in this thing together, whole. And we're not just grown-ups. We're, we're human beings, all of us. And we're not just children. We're human beings. And, you know, I think we share so much with our kids. So so true. And I'm thinking about, I have kids that range from 23 to 35. And then I already have a couple of grandchildren. Lucky you that you have one coming. And um, that continues, actually. And I wondered if you could, either one of you or both, talk a bit about what it's like to go through this with your adult children. Oh, it's interesting. I think um, at first, I mean, it's interesting because our daughter is a social worker and our son is a nurse. So, you know, one would expect that they could do this, (laughs) you know, but again, it's, it's us, it's their parents and we're very close and we live close to one another. So we're not, we're not distantly connected to them. We really are in one another's lives. And when I was first diagnosed, it was as much a shock to them as to us. And Rob and I were trying to be very upbeat about it. And, and our daughter, Sophia said, um, finally said, I finally said, Sophia, you can say anything you need to. And she said, mom, you and dad are just too upbeat about this. And I don't feel that way. <laughs> you know, I'm terrified. And then I'm a knitter, and, and, you know, we've talked about my knitting for her as yet unconceived child at that point, um, who is now conceived, and she's in her second trimester. And she asked me, she said, I, I really fully hope and expect that you'll get well, but if you don't, please knit something for me so that I'll have it for my child if you're not around, which made us both cry. You know? Of course. But in but, a way, uh, she led you. She, she uh, pulled you along with both her adult and child, I guess. Right, right. And, and said, we're, we're in this together. They're in the pool, too. Yeah, uh, yeah they are. Yeah, I mean, I think that conversation happened very soon after, around the same time that we had the experience that I described in my first, in the, the reading that I did, that um, we weren't talking about the what if. We weren't talking about the fact that I could die from this. This is a serious one. And um, the prognosis is not good. You know, the, the statistical prognosis isn't good, even though people do survive. So, you know, it's kind of like my determination to be one of those who does. And yet there's always, you know, again, with this kind of illness and with with life itself, there aren't any guarantees. But you know, when, you, you know, when it's in your face, it's different. You know, you know I, I want to say that in a way, there's, the, there's an elephant in our room here, uh, uh, here on the phone, uh, that I think part of the, 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 the struggle that we experience as a family is that it's pancreatic cancer and that 
uh, it's a kind of cancer that's very frightening. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and, and it's a cancer that our children are with it enough to understand places huge amounts of uh, risk on, on the patient and therefore all of us. So, the, you know, there's a lot of uh, fear that we have to all grapple with. You know, we, I think we all of us do it in different ways. Yeah. Our kids are adults. I mean, our son is 29 and our daughter will be 32 in a few weeks. So it's not like they're, you know, they're children, but they are our children. <laughs> well, also, I've not, you know, obviously my life is pretty focused around all these grief issues. You know, I, I talk every week with people who have experienced substantial loss. And I notice that my kids who've experienced loss, they can talk about loss with their friends. You know, they can't, they're the first ones to reach out when someone has a loss, all of that. They cannot talk about the possible loss of me. They're still not good at that, um, and I'm and I'm not. Um, I don't. I'm still hesitating to push that, but of course, in your situation, you kind of need to be talking about it. Yeah. Otherwise, other things will get sort of stopped up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it was pushed on us to, yeah. to have to do it. You know, yeah. circumstance. And I think that the kids talk to each of us differently, you know, maybe, I, I suspect, for sure. you know. For sure. Yeah. You know. As they probably yeah. always did. So yeah. let's take another break and then come back and, and continue this conversation. I'm, I'm, um, I think we're at the meat of what we're talking about today. And, and listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, which is my website, or you can go to my host page at, at Voice America to find me. And to find my guests, you can go to robertzucker.com. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Rob and Andrea Zucker. 
both end-of-life professionals who are now facing Andrea's cancer diagnosis. And I'm, I'm realizing this hour is just speeding by for me. And, and part of that is that you are right in the middle of such a, obviously, I'm, I, I've never experienced exactly <laughs> what you're experiencing, but I've been in that territory and it's so alive for me in this hour. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really aware of my own stories, and I think it's making our time speed by. <laughs> yeah, it's and I thank you for that. For us, yeah, it's a pretty crucial time for us right now because I'm about to have um, a scan on Monday that will let me know whether or not I'm I'm eligible for surgery. So, um, which will let me know what my options are going to be. But surgery is the best hope for this kind of cancer. So. Yes, I know a lot that. about pancreatic yeah. cancer. That's sort yeah. of a dividing line, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that and that means you're really, really right in the center of uncertainty. Those waiting periods are so intense, evocative. I, I can't think of a big enough word. Yeah, we, we've been really working up to this moment uh, since January and with the chemo. And, and then followed by the radiation, uh, the intensive radiation. So that you know, we so really, this is the moment, you know, to kind of let us know it's information as um, as Andrea's osteopath said. It's really it's not like you know, life or death. It's information that we need. But we've been waiting for this information, for this moment to receive the information uh, now for uh, for eight months. I guess yeah. it is. I mean, as far as they know, the treatment has been, I've responded well to the treatment and the tumor has shrunk and, and in order for me to be able to have surgery, it needs to get shrunk away from the major blood vessels in the pancreas. Um, but, and they expect that it will be, but of course, until we have the scan and we see what the results are, we're not going to know. Um, yeah, very, very evocative times for yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm, um, it's important to me or meaningful to me to be talking with people who are right in the center of that because in general I'm talking with people who have faced things in their life that, that are a ways back and you're kind of right in the heart of it mm-hmm. uh, and I really appreciate you your courage in, in wanting to come on the show right now where things are so uncertain I I know that's uh I think you mentioned Rob that that that's actually one thing you're doing is trying to share your experience uh to to make something meaningful for others through it and I'm sure you're doing that today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you know we we um we've been swept up in something that's been really Something we never expected, of course, and uh, it changed. It's changed everything about how we live, you know, yeah. in a very concrete way. I stopped working, except for a small practice that I have, and some consulting that I sometimes have time to do. You know, we don't earn income that we expected to earn. We, uh, you know, we have a lot of time together that we typically don't have because we both would be working. Um, but a lot of the focus has been on, you know, initially was on, earlier on when Andrew was doing the chemo, was on taking a, you know, 
tra- transporting Andrea to various healers because a lot of Andrea's care has been traditional but also complementary, involving osteopathy and acupuncture and uh, Donna Eden healing sessions and, um, well, I forget, Reiki. Uh, so, 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 you know, a lot of it was, was my role, a lot of ways, was to help Andrea get where she needed to go, you know, and then support her as best I can. So uh, our world has changed so tremendously. But, you know, it, it's crazy because there have been, um, as hard as this has been and as difficult a moment in the, in the journey as we are in right now, we're still, um, we're still on the upswing, you know. And, and because of all the complementary treatment I was getting and all the support we've had, I've, you know, I think it's because of that. I've weathered these treatments, which are very aggressive, really well. And so um, sometimes when people see me, they expect to see me, you know, diminished, and, and I don't even look sick, you know. So, mm. uh, and I've lost 40 pounds, and so I look great, you know. I've had people in my cancer support group say, the diet I didn't ask for. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But I think this leads into the reading that you suggested I do from Absolutely. May 8th. Absolutely. It truly yeah. does. I was just thinking that, too. Okay. So this is from, from May 8th, as I was getting toward the end of, of chemo. Um, I think I had two more rounds after this to go. This is my 68th birthday week, and this is the time of year that always gives me a boost. The lilacs are just beginning to bloom outside my study window. The roses are leafing out. The peonies budding with promise and we have so many dandelions proliferating that our backyard looks like a meadow. And I've been feeling quite well pretty much most of the time. Mass General seems to have offered me the exact right chemo cocktail this last round. I only had one truly uncomfortable day and almost no nausea to speak of. I'm also certain it's all the things I'm doing daily, good nutrition, CBD oil, and every week acupuncture, osteopathy, and energy healing that have supported my vitality and enabled me to do so well. We were told at Mass General last time that the chemo protocol I'm on is one of the most aggressive treatments they offer. Even so, I've had many days where I've truly been able to feel normal and forget that I'm dealing with a life-threatening condition. And except for the occasional times when I get overly frustrated with all the difficulties of scheduling and rescheduling appointments, feel overwhelmed with the too-muchness of all of this, or those moments when Rob and I seem to be constantly misunderstanding one another, My life is truly filled with joy. My days are even filled with joy when things are difficult because I'm so grateful to be alive and seem to be almost thriving through this. I may be happier and more at peace with myself than I've ever been in my life. I didn't know I could do this. My acupuncturist offered some wise comfort last week when I arrived all bent out of shape and in tears because my oncologist scheduler wasn't getting back to me to confirm my appointment dates. We get frustrated with the little things we think we should be able to control, like schedules, she said, because we can't control the bigger things. For me, those bigger things would be the truth that I have this illness and must continue to deal with the effects of treatment and looking at the prospect of major surgery at best and still, as it is for everyone affected by cancer, a very uncertain outcome. It was so helpful and kind of her to remind me that even though I am not always thinking of the larger picture, it is always there. 
That just resonated with me so much from experiences of watching cancer and living next to cancer that that what often is really commanding your attention is all the details mm-hmm. of dealing with the practical because right. that's where we live day by day by day and not getting results back on time, not being able to get an appointment and that uh, taking a moment and breathing and stepping into what's going on behind that is so helpful. Absolutely. I mean, it just, I, my acupuncturist is so wise. I mean, she's somebody who, who nurtured me through a morning sickness with my, with my now 29-year-old son, so I've known her for a long time. And every time I go there, there's something in me that lets down and is able to just take in the truth of the moment. And she always has something helpful to say. You know, especially if I'm struggling with something, I, I can't let go of it. And and we were talking a little earlier about the adult perspective, maintaining the adult yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm. She's helping you do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes we can't do it for ourselves. It's just a little too close. Yeah, well, we the need... little kid needs having a tantrum because the scheduler won't call me back, right? You know, and, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, and I don't. How trust can this be? Don't happen. they know how upset I am? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about for you, Rob? Because uh, what I recall most about being an intimate caregiver or an intimate partner in the cancer pool is that um, feeling of being really out of control in, in even bigger ways in the sense that I couldn't do anything except, you know, make the dinner, I guess. Um, but but the biggest thing on the block was not in my... Yeah. Was was not mine, in some yeah. sense. Yeah. I was not, responding not, to I'm it. I'm not fixing anything. I'm not involved with, directly with healing. You know, yeah, I mean, but I'm not. You know, I think, you know, being there, you know, uh, is really what it comes down to. And so much of and listening, and so, so much of what I do professionally is being there and listening, you know. So, like, I think I've had a lot of practice. You know, people who say, you're a really good listener, you know, and, and I realize, well, that's a great compliment, you know, because sure. I'm willing to be there, and I'm willing to really under, understand the best of my ability what I see, what I and grapple, and gr- try to grasp what's going on, and be present, and stay present. And so I've been, like, really, really working on that for my, my whole professional career. And probably even before that, trying to understand what's going on around me. So trying to be present, you know, and that's all I can really do here. You know, so when I go to Andrew's osteopathy, I also feel like his name is Andrew Goldman. He's this amazing guy. And I, I just go into the room and I lie down on the couch and I just feel like I'm, I'm getting treated vicariously, you know. So I, I do feel a little selfish in a sense because I really am there for me. There, it's one of the rare times... <laughs> You know, really, but well, but uh, uh, yeah. uh, it's it's, it's um, being present. What's that, honey? What? Oh, I just say necessary. You know, I'm always yeah. encouraging Rob to do things like that. And yeah. Absolutely, yeah. because I'm sure you're aware that caregivers are 50 percent more likely to be depressed. Oh than yeah. The, than uh, the person yeah. with the illness, so we got to learn to take well, care well, of ourselves I, too, huh? I didn't know that. It's amazing statistic. 50 percent more likely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it makes sense because you know yes. we're helpless in a lot yeah. of ways. 
Uh, but I, 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 I've been getting a whole lot of support. I mean, my, my best friend, who may be listening to this uh, now or later, uh, he, for the first several months, probably six, six or seven months, he called me every single day. You know, um, and I have other friends who stepped up and really were incre- incredibly there for me. Uh, you know, uh, when I didn't even know what I needed. You know, so uh, that's it, so it, crucial. I uh, I once asked a friend who was caring for a, her ill partner. You know, she gave me what kind of the four one one, and then I said, "And how are you doing?" And she burst into tears because nobody had asked her. So it's yeah. it, that is really crucially important. So we're we're nearing the end of our time, which blows my mind. We didn't get to a whole bunch of stuff that we were going to talk about, and so I do want to mention some things. One thing I want to mention is that Rob, you do klezmer music uh, to uh, as as part of your grief work and. I think that's gr- really a wonderful thing, and there are some pieces on your website, so I, p- I hope people will go listen. I always felt Klezmer was, you know, that kind of heart, mournful music. I've I've been in the same concert program with a Klezmer band several times, um, and having that connected for me was wonderful. Also, we didn't get to a whole bunch in your book that's beautiful, so I hope particularly families that are facing grief together will look up your book but obviously i've highlighted today or focused most primarily on what you're going through right now and i really appreciate you sharing it so thank you for being here with me oh you're welcome you're very welcome thank you for giving us a chance to share it um we hope we can do more of that because um Yes, like I'd I'd love you to keep me well, updated yeah. <laughs> on because I think it's just um to see how people nego- you know kind of navigate the territory you're in and you're able to verbalize it because you know the language. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thank and so next it week it helps us feel less isolated, you know? Yeah. It really does. I'm glad to hear that. Next week, I'll welcome Heather Vargas and Daniela Guzman, two businesswomen who, after facing losses of their own, founded Life After, a business dedicated to helping grievers handle the pile of details that assault them after a death. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.